Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. Hi, I'm Brendan Freehart. I'm joined today by Taja Lanier, and this is the Avocado Toast Career Show. <laughs> Did you know that was the name of the show? No. <laughs> <laughs> Learning something new every moment. Welcome. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about FedScoop. Oh, excellent. Um, yeah, so I- I'm a reporter. I write for a publication called FedScoop, and FedScoop is a federal IT-focused publication we write about technology and the federal government, and um, not the obvious thing. A lot of people, when you say that, they think uh, policy. Mm-hmm. The government has a large hand in setting technology policy, but we don't write about that so much. Uh, we write more about how the federal government uses technology to achieve its various missions. So what are the very practical computer systems um, that employees within federal agencies are using, uh, or contractors, um, to make the government run and deliver the services it needs to deliver. That's really cool. So who do you find is the... Um, I don't want to ask you who the core consumer is, because I don't want you to, uh, <laughs> to, <laughs> to alienate anybody. But like it, it sounds like, um, you know, if I were to say who is executing a lot of this in the federal government, it's people like Deloitte, um, I don't know, you take your pick, maybe McKinsey, and then tech... Uh, implementers, right? So Mm -hmm. would they be reading it for information about which products people are using, how they're applying them, or how would you characterize your your readership? Yeah, so it's it's a very niche topic. Uh, The federal government is giant, so ironically, I have lots of things to write about, way too many things to write about. But the people who are interested in reading this kind of content are fairly limited. And they, they tend to be either people who are working in technology in the government. They could be federal employees working in the office of the CIO around there. That's kind of where we focus a lot of our coverage is the office of the CIO within agencies and then what comes out from there. Yeah, that makes um, sense. Yeah. And so it, so it could be internal to the government or it could be external to the government, people who are contractors, existing contractors working with the government or people, companies who want to be contractors working with the government, trying to learn what the government needs. And we kind of connect the dots. And we do that through journalism as well as through events. Cool. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, how many private email server jokes do you guys make uh, in the office? You don't have to answer that. Um, so can you tell me a little bit about the events? <laughs> yeah, the events. So the events is the economic driver of the company. Um we have a whole team that does that. I show up at the events. I sometimes report on things that are said at the events. They're a great way for me to get in the same room with some of the people who I'm trying to get in contact with. Right. Um, but I don't I don't put together the events. Um, <laughs> That's okay. I that said, yeah. they're <laughs> sort of like conferences. They're like, you know, day long. People give up, get up and give a keynote about something or um, pan- we have panels and they usually tend to focus on one topic, so we'll do an event on like IT modernization, and then we'll get a bunch of people to talk about how the federal government is modernizing its IT services. Yeah. Um. Well, um, I'd like to get right into that. I mean, I, I think I told you beforehand that I'm I'm still into the trite 
uh, navel gazing of journalism. I really find that subject interesting. So could you tell me a little bit about how you um, how do you establish sources? Is there anything different about it in in tech journalism versus um, what I will kind of hand wave and say normal journalism? Um, <laughs> or, or does that question make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, so I have only ever been a tech journalist, but I have been a couple at least two different kinds of tech journalists. For for a while, I wrote about startups in D.C. for a publication called Technically D.C. And so then I was writing about private sector companies, usually really small early stage companies. And now I write about the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and these are vastly, <laughs> vastly different. So I can only imagine that every area of journalism, every beat has its, has its own um, requirements. Right. Uh, in terms of building sources, I think the really big difference that I have found so far is that the private sector, the startups tend to view the press as an avenue to things that they want, customers, investors, mm-hmm. um, whatever it might be. And and they tend to use, view the press as an outlet that they can use to get those things uh, and therefore a very attractive thing. I I've rarely meet startups that don't want press. <laughs> Ideally, ma- it's yeah, good press. That makes sense. Right? Um, but it, it kind of, they're not really that worried about bad press. They sort of, they, they sort of tend to take the like all publicity is good publicity approach to um, selling themselves through the press. So they make themselves available to you. Very available. The government doesn't have quite the same interest in selling itself to its users. Sure. Um, so that makes my job a little more challenging. Yeah, right. And the events, you can kind of um, stir some medicine in the oatmeal, as they say. Yes, ideally. <laughs> uh, cool. Well, I don't want you to uh, give up too much about your secrets of <laughs> establishing contacts. Um, okay, so uh, how did you start off? Was it in journalism? I mean, you're obviously a strong writer. So how long? I mean, I'm not asking this question very clearly. But in a parallel, you must have been pursuing a career and also writing a hell of a lot, right? Yeah, so I get the question pretty often when people ask me what I do and I say I'm a tech journalist and they say, oh, did you start off in technology or did you start off in journalism? And the answer is neither. I, I think I can raise my hand and say I'm one of those <laughs> um, people. Yeah. So I, uh, neither. I studied political science, international law and philosophy. Um, and I was really interested in all those things. I, I loved studying that. Um I didn't ever want to work in politics. I I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I don't think, and in some ways, I didn't think about it a lot during college. I just enjoyed what was in front of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I graduated from college, I was thinking about what I was going to do next, as people tend to do, and I realized that what I what I really really wanted to do was be a journalist and write for a living. I'd always loved writing since I was a little kid. Um, and so I said, all right, I'll apply. I'd taken one, exactly one journalism class in college and really? it, it went pretty well, but you know, there's only one. Um, and I said, I'll apply to every single internship I can find. And if I get one, I will go chase it, see what happens. And if I don't get one, I'll go work for an NGO or something. I don't know. Okay. Um, and, uh, I, I did, and I got exactly one internship and, the, that's how I ended up where I am now, through other... Where was the internship? It was at USA Today. Okay. I was a fact checker for the opinion section. 
Do you feel that gave you a really good background, though? I mean, it, that seems to be one of the most underrated aspects of journalism, especially in our kind of current social <laughs> climate, right? Yeah, it was it was a really, really good first job in journalism. It gave me a lot of exposure to different things. I, I had my hands in a, a lot of areas of the opinion page, basically all of them, because it's a fairly small um, team there at USA Today. And fact-checking especially kind of allowed me to deconstruct works of journalism and then build them back up, if that makes sense, by checking the the component facts. And um, it was also something that I was relatively well-suited for coming out of academia. Like, basically the only thing I knew how to do was research and write. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, did, I didn't do any writing, but I did a lot of researching, so. Um, well, isn't, I mean, this is a, this is an out there question, but isn't there a little bit of uh, uh, tangents with philosophy and like, what would you even call epistemology, <laughs> epidemiology, <laughs> the, the, the study of truth, the right? The theory of truth, yeah. yeah. Yes, there's that too. Um, and sometimes I remember, I remember once my, uh, there was some, some column that I was fact checking and, and uh, some, the most challenging ones you know, you'd, you'd sort of find where the facts were. You'd find like a number or a name, easy things that you can check in multiple places to kind of make sure that it's solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and usually, usually the opinion writers weren't trying to pull one over. These are these are columns submitted by people like um, academics or politicians or outside public figures who are knowledgeable. And usually they were usually they had the the correct facts there. Sometimes they didn't, and then I would reconcile um, with the writer, say like, hey, you say this and I found this and, you know, then we'd, we'd figure out what the, what truth we were going to agree on. Right. Um, <laughs> but sometimes there were, uh, the most tricky situations were when there was a fact that was correct, but used in a way that was very misleading. Um, and... That's the beauty of opinion writing. Right. Yeah. Um, but I would have interesting conversations. There, there was obviously an editor above me who was making the final calls on these things. But sure. I would be kind of like the front lines. I'd read these and, and bring them to him and say, OK, these are the facts that I was able to corroborate. And these are the ones that I wasn't able to corroborate. And these are the ones that I think we might want to like figure out how we're talking about this because it's uh the number is correct but the conclusion that they're drawing based on that number i i don't know that it follows yeah i mean that's a tough thing to push back on in an editorial page too because some of that is a little bit intent intentional mm-hmm. i would yeah, say absolutely <laughs> sort of misleading numbers uh, um yeah. so what came after usa today after USA Today, I um, I applied for an internship at NPR, and I got an internship on their social media team. Do you which... know Ezra Klein? <laughs> no. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> I. <laughs> what about Mickey Meek? <laughs> no. I um I worked. So their social media desk is an interesting thing. Basically, it's one. It's a, a couple people in the office who are devoted to just really thinking broadly and strategically about how NPR appears on social media mm-hmm. and not running like that team doesn't run the Twitter account. They don't run the Facebook account. Um, the one account that I did get to run was the NPR Snapchat account, which oh was fun. Um, what kind of stage <laughs> of Snapchat uh, 
like kind of ubiquity was that? Uh, this was so Snapchat was pretty big, and this was this was pre anyone else Instagram stories or like anyone coming out with a competitor. Okay. So Snapchat was pretty big. It was right while I was there. I think a month into my internship, they launched Discover. Okay, so which yeah, sort this of was changed back when, things. Yeah, this was back when they had. Um, there was like a no, they didn't really have a monetary model. They just had like a ton of teens on it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, but you could do, basically, NPR had started a Snapchat account really early on right. when you could only send one 10-second um, snap. You couldn't like make a story of multiple right. snaps. You could just do one. And so the formula they came up with at that point was we will do something called the fact of the day where we get a reporter to just give an interesting fact from a story that they wrote today in 10 seconds. And that will be it. Did you have to go <laughs> um, shop around for facts of the day? Yeah. So I would go and like knock on people's <laughs> virtual doors and be like, hey, uh, I'm doing Snapchat. And people were suspicious of me and didn't want to be on camera right. um, ever. So that was challenging. But eventually I, I decided that fact of the day was relatively a lot of work. Like I had to I had to go around and find people to give me a fact of the day every single day. And not a lot of payoff. It was it, Snapchat. it just ended with right. one right. with one snap. Um and so I decided to use the stories format and we started doing like a newscast um ish on Snapchat where I would sort of introduce the day and then I'd have instead of one reporter give me a fact I'd have ha- I'd have three or four reporters give me 10 or 20 seconds on a story that they'd written that day a mixture of maybe what the big stories of the day mm-hmm. were and some fun things and then I'd throw in a little behind the scenes people loved to see what life was like I, inside NPR so totally I took a um, tour I want to know if you've seen uh, a tiny desk concert yeah it's many I mean, it's, tiny desk concerts yes really what was yeah. your favorite one? Oh, what was my favorite one we there's this local localish DJ from Baltimore named Dan Deacon um, yeah. He did a tiny desk. It was the first time I'd ever seen Dan Deacon. Now I've been to like five Dan Deacon yeah, concerts. Yeah. Um, but it was so much fun. And it was maybe like 9.30 in the morning, really early. And so we're all sort of like groggy. You know, you don't really want to be interacting with anyone. But he had us dancing and holding hands. And I don't know, it was a lot of fun. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, I saw that. He was directing dancing, like yeah. dance-offs and stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I feel like, so most of those must have been uh, world news policy stuff when you were when you were going around and shopping for kind of your um, headlines of the day, right? Yeah. A lot of big stories, but often... Also, just kind of interesting stories. I think um, my my perception was that the audience on Snapchat, and it was hard to know. Sometimes I'd ask for feedback on what I was doing and, and get little bits here and there. But um, my perception was that people were interested in kind of like quirky, in, interesting information that they could get more than um, like what the top of the line headlines are because they're probably encountering that somewhere else sure. um, within Discover if they happen to be someone who gets news on Snapchat or on Twitter. Or, I don't know. I, I didn't think that 
um, people were necessarily coming to NPR's Snapchat story for breaking news or or a, or a cohesive That's a good point. Um, understanding of what's happening in in the news. It was more like they're coming there for the personalities and the the tiny desks and the right. um, quirky science stories. That I mean, I that's know. incredible. Um, so you got to you got to be part of deciding the personality that that a me- major media organization was was presenting. How did you wind yeah. up at uh, technically? Um, so when I when I left NPR, I was looking for a job. I really wanted a reporting job, but I had never been a reporter before. I'd done a little bit of writing at NPR for their tech blog. That, um, and so when I was I was looking around and a friend of a friend was writing for Technically in D.C. and she got a new job and was leaving. And um, so I got drinks with her and she said, yeah, here's, here's the deal. Here's what I write about. It's a cool gig. Um, I wrote a couple stories for them freelance and then I guess they just decided it seemed like I could maybe do this thing and so (laughs) they uh, decided to give me a shot. Awesome. Um, What was it like being in the the fast uh, world of DC technology? Uh, A lot of fun. I really loved it. Um, It's a, a really great community to be a part of. The characters are super interesting um i i always felt very welcomed and encouraged um people were very kind to me always uh i knew nothing to begin with um but really yeah but fairly quickly figured out you know who some of the main players are who can introduce me to some of the other main players and and uh, worked my way around like that. Yeah. Um, Does that feel weird doing like the, you know, handshakes and and kind of networking stuff for you to to jump right into that and be like, hey, who do you know? <laughs> um, yeah. It. I don't know that it's like my favorite thing to do in the world, but um, it was what what the job required <laughs> so i asked in um, a way that presumed a value judgment that, yeah that was not my intention sorry <laughs> um so no no dc tech hot takes though besides that it's a friendly ecosystem <laughs> <laughs> um no i think you know what i i really i really really enjoyed being around people every day who are building things um that they think will make the world better by some definition of better. Right. Um, that definition of better might be different, but but you you're around people who are just like extremely passionate about what they're doing and um and extremely yeah, just just going for it. And that right. that was exciting. And even though I didn't have the um, I didn't have anything in common with a lot of people from the technical side. I didn't, didn't have technical expertise. I didn't have um, business expertise. Uh, I do view my work as creative, and I view entrepreneurship as creative. Right. And so I think I could understand people from from the perspective of like, okay, you are waking up every day and and building something, and I'm also waking up every day and building something, and right. it's just a different thing. Do you do writing outside of your work? Do you get that question a lot? I guess. Uh, I would love to do more writing outside of my work. It's 
it's one of those things that you know it's it's hard to figure out what your relationship to a thing that you really love should be once you get to do that thing that you really love professionally yeah <laughs> um it hasn't detracted from my love of writing which is excellent i hope it never does um but it definitely had i definitely did a lot more personal writing when i was in school before it was a professional thing so yeah i can see that i mean yeah i can't really imagine it's not tainted it's just it's just different now yeah yeah um okay so who's the coolest person that you met trying to get a scoop in dc (laughs) i'm putting you on the spot a little bit uh hmm. i don't know that's a good question um I, I mean, r- random people. I guess I was. This was f- fairly recently. I don't. I don't know that I was trying to get a scoop, but I was over the summer sometime. I was at this uh, veterans Department of Veterans Affairs event at Georgetown, and we're all in the auditorium, and <laughs> the secretary, David Shulkin, is on stage, and he is talking about how much he likes Shark Tank. And um, all of a sudden, this alarm goes off, and uh, a fire alarm goes off, and we all sort of look around, and the Secret Service is like, yeah, we have to get out of the building. The fire alarm is going off. So they, they shepherd him off stage, and uh, he he goes out this exit, and, and I sort of watch him go out that exit, and I'm like, well, I may as well just try and go out that exit, too. So then I find myself standing in the stairwell <laughs> with the Secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Secret Service, and I'm like, well, I guess now I can ask you some questions because <laughs> we're just hanging out until the fire alarm goes off. You actually um, turned that into an article? <laughs> I I didn't. I didn't really turn it into an article. I I wrote something about the event generally, and and we had a sort of general conversation. But you know, it's always good to meet those people. I mean, it sounds really fun. <laughs> like it's a weird. Situation it, was, it was a very weird situation. Um, okay. So, who are you reading? Uh, I let's see. I read various. I I think there are sort of various categories. I read. Um, my competition really? um, in the like federal IT publication space. There are a couple other publications um, that I read just to see, sometimes to see if they're reporting something that I'm missing, sometimes to see what they're choosing to report on that I don't <laughs> report on, um, and sometimes to see if we both wrote a story, kind of like how they're doing it differently. Um, I read a little bit of more general tech press, like TechCrunch or Wired, things like that. Um, and then I really I really enjoy reading kind of long-form investigative pieces or more like magazine style. Like The New Yorker? Um, the New Yorker, uh, like New York Times weekend-y mm-hmm. stuff um, that's very different. Recode? Uh, yeah, I read some Recode. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd include that in the more like broad general tech press side. The the um, long form stuff is m- more from a writing perspective. I like to see even if, if someone's writing, you know, just um, a some kind of profile of a celebrity or something like that. I still love 
reading good writers. So I try and, totally. I try and do that I, too. <laughs> I feel like it must be really hard for people that don't read a lot to be a good writer. I don't know if those are necessarily mutually exclusive, but. Yeah, I mean, you tend to, I think you tend to find that people who are writers really, really love to read. Um, it's true for me. I don't, I don't know that it, who else is true for, but it's true for me. So I had a hard time asking you this initially, but I'm going to give it another shot. Uh, we have a little bit of time left here. So how do you draw the line around tech journalism? Um, and I didn't want to sound like uh, uh, ignorant, but is, is there a difference between kind of business journalism or in your case, um, kind of, uh, you know, including uh, public entities in business, if you will, um, and tech journalism? Or what is blogging? Where, where, where are we in terms of journalism as a as a whole, it's such a huge question, <laughs> but like, how do you see it? I, I, I think you might know where I'm going with this, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, you can redirect me if I'm going wrong, but I think I sort of think of journalism versus blogging from the perspective of the um, almost like bureaucratic structure that exists, like the editorial structure. So mm -hmm. blogging, I think I did a lot of blogging when I was in school and I've had multiple blogs. You write something, you put it on the internet um, and that's it. So that's how, I mean, I'm sure there are some some exceptions. It's always nice to have someone proofread your things, but, but I, th I think that's generally how I think about blogging versus journalism being a craft that exists with like editorial controls and a structure over it um so so i kind of i would divide those like that and then within journalism there are all different kinds and i think it's um it's a it's a publication's choice what they want to focus on you were talking earlier about kind of a tech crunch tech journalism versus that might be quite gadget focused a lot of the time versus investigative tech journalism. I think they're both tech journalism. They're just very different kinds. I've never done gadget blogging personally, but it's a big thing and people like to read it. So yeah, um, yeah. So I, I would say it's I define the journalism by the um, by the structures around it. I guess. Well. Taja, thank you so much for coming in today. You're I'm glad that I finally got to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.